All right. As a reminder, we are recording remotely and uh, obeying the COVID-19 house <laughs> restrictions. We're staying home. So we're all re in different places today. And we have a great guest with us that we wanted to introduce to you guys. So um, the question for today is, can we survive a faith crisis? And it's a question I get all the time. So I know you guys are waiting to hear us talk about this. So we're excited for this episode. We are so glad that you're here because you're choosing to thrive after betrayal, trauma, or addiction. Hi, I'm Ashlyn, the once betrayed. I'm Kobe, the once addicted. And I'm Brandon, the expert. Now, why am I an expert? Because I've treated betrayal, trauma, and addiction for over a decade. Guys, there is definitely a way that you can help, not only in um, helping other people heal, helping other people find hope, but also in helping other people discover this episode and that is by leaving a review. And if you haven't done that, please do. But um, I'm going to read this specific review today because, be, well, I'll, I'll tell you exactly why. You'll see why. It's called, This Has Helped Me. And it's short. And it says, these podcasts have helped me so much see the other side and feel empathy for my spouse. It has been a huge struggle, but these podcasts have helped me. This is what's cool is you don't know if this, is, if this partner who left the review is the betrayed or is the addicted or the indulgent. And I just am a big, big believer that seeing another's perspective in, a, in our human journey is just super important. But being able to see another's perspective in the framework of addiction and betrayal, I think is paramount in being able to have two partners heal and reconcile their relationship, whether they stay together or not. So I just am really happy for that um, review, really grateful for that review. So guys, um, help out, help out and uh, leave a review and that will make sure that people can find us. So thanks guys. Awesome, thanks Kobe. I, um, I have the privilege of introducing Thomas. So uh, Thomas McConkie is here with us today. Uh, he's the founder of Lower Light School of Wisdom has a passion for the world's wisdom traditions. Uh, he was raised LDS. Um, at 18 years old, he discovered Buddhism, which remains a wellspring of inspiration over the last 20 years. Um, influenced profoundly in his 20s by world travel and a study of adult development, over time he began to ask the question of what spiritual flourishing will look like in the 21st century. He is trained as a developmental researcher facilitator and mindfulness teacher. He hosts the Lower Light Sangha with intention of providing a supportive environment where seekers of any kind can discover new depths and heights in their evolving faith journey. So Thomas, welcome. It's really good to have you here today. Um, can I start by uh, just throwing a question out to you? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for the generous introduction and for having me on your show. It's nice to be here with you guys in these lonely COVID times. I know it is. Socially <laughs> deprived sometimes. So our question that Ashton posed, uh, what, you know, first off, what is a faith transition or a faith crisis? Like, what, what, what is that? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, and I think, you know, it, it could be cliche to say that there are as many faith transitions and crises as there are people. They're all, they're all really unique. Uh, what mm -hmm. I have been struck by in my research and my area of interest for about 15 years now is that in many cases, I wouldn't say all cases, but in many cases, there's a developmental factor that kind of remains invisible to most people. It's an element in the whole dynamic that uh, we don't necessarily have on our map of what we think reality is. So we ignore it. And it's this developmental factor that can really cause such seismic shifts in human life. So I've gotten really interested in adult development and how that plays out in the way we relate to the way we make meaning of life, the way we make meaning of religion and faith and who we make God to be, all these questions that have big ramifications on our lives, they turn out to often be profoundly informed by human development. 
I just, what you said is, is so profound. Uh, and just in my own personal experience, um, you know, 19 year olds, they follow, they go on missions, they do their thing. Um, but it seems like all of my friends and all of my clients and the people that I talk with in their mid to late thirties have a much different thing going on with faith and spirituality than say a 19 year old and it does seem like it's just kind of their progression in in life yep. um yep absolutely it's it's developmental no question um mm-hmm. and to make this more tangible for listeners who are new to maybe the term or the concept of adult development one simple way to think about it is meaning making like how do we make meaning of life? How do we make meaning of the moment to moment experiences of our lives? If you like catch an Uber to the airport and you get talking to the driver and he's saying, yeah, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that this life means anything. I think it's just like all some big bang accident. That's a story. And that's a very particular way of making meaning of life. And it's deeply informed by human development. And then let's say you have a nice trip to Portland or wherever you just were. Actually, don't go to Portland right now. It's dangerous. But let's say you go somewhere (laughs) like South Dakota where, you know, your COVID cases and you're coming back from the airport, you land an SLC and the next Uber driver tells you about their just unrelenting faith in God and their belief in Jesus Christ, our savior and so on and so on. That's also a way of making meaning of human life. And that also is deeply informed by development. It's to say that these stories that we take to be true, they actually are categorizable and they are patterned. And the field of adult development concerns itself with where are the patterns in all of these stories? And like, how does one's meaning making unfold across a lifetime? So it's like whether the, term adult development sounds really interesting to you or really sterile and dry it actually is one of the most intimate things we can study about our humanity because right down to like this very breath i'm breathing and what i'm saying to you in this moment is informed by development that's super interesting to me because um i can just as you talked about that and brandon with your question i look back to um my context with my relationship with god mm-hmm. from an early, early, early age um, was just always taught um, about God, taught about faith, taught about Jesus Christ. Um, But what's interesting, as my shame increased with my my addiction, as I acted out over the years, and my shame would compound and, and become greater and bigger. And I got to a point where I realized that um, actually once I started recovery, I realized that I had framed God in a way that totally didn't serve me and was counterproductive to who I wanted to become. And Brandon, that's probably, I don't know if that's, that's, I'm sure, I don't think I'm unique in that specific way, but is that something that you hear all the time as well? Oh, if you, you, you bring, you know, high rigidity in, in religious beliefs um, and then sexuality into the equation. And it's a, it's a shame machine. It's a, it's a self-rejection machine and that, that ultimately kind of kills spirituality. And um, it's, it's interesting as you talk about development because I see that, you know, meaning God I, I do this thing in my groups called fire your God. And to a lot of these guys, they look at God as this source of just, just um, something there to punish them and reject them. Right. Um, I, Thomas, I want to ask you a question here and you know, just your energy is, is I feel like we can go deep fast here and I'm already feeling Zen just hanging out with you. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. He has that calming effect. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So here's the deal. If, if I'm, if I'm, let's say I'm an atheist and, and, uh, or I hate God or whatever it is, or let's say I'm, I'm a believer and you know, Jesus Christ is my savior. Or if, if both of those are kind of based in meaning and development, 
um, and story, right? Is there, is there a way to transcend the stories and find connection um, beyond the stories? You really did just take us into the deep end. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so, great question. I'm reminded, for whatever reason, as I was just enjoying the sweep of conversation now, I had this flash of my first meditation teacher um, who actually had an LDS background. He hasn't been involved in the church for probably three decades at this point. Um, but was formed in the LDS tradition. And I met him when I was about 18 years old and I was just getting into meditation. And I was having, it was the first time I'd met him, I was having a conversation with him and I was really troubled. Like, I love your phrase, fire God. Um, I was like in the process of trying to fire God because I wasn't happy with the role he was playing in my organization, if I can extend the metaphor. <laughs> and I remember my my teacher, when I asked him, like, so who is God to you? And what do you think God is? And he said, well, it was, I'll paraphrase, but he said something to the effect of, I, I know myself well enough to know that any thought I can have about God is fundamentally inaccurate. Mm -hmm. And like that, that teaching really like penetrated me. And it was the confidence with which this teacher said it. It, it, wasn't in an, it wasn't from a place of despair or profound confusion or hopelessness. It was liberation. It was, why would I lay like bad ideas on ultimate reality when I can just relax and be ultimate reality? I can just enjoy myself. And he was, he's an unusually happy person, this guy who I'm still in touch with. Um, so back to your question, like, can we ever go totally beyond the story? I feel as long as we're human and as long as we're wearing these body suits around town and like mm -hmm. having a human experience, we'll also put on stories. And some of those stories that we take to be true will have really profound meaning. Um, you know, like if you ask me, uh, if I love my wife and I say, yeah, I really, I do love my wife. And you say, well, that's just a story. That's just a story you're telling about like being a human being and being married. And, and I'd say, yeah, I would concede at an absolute level. Yeah. Maybe it's just a story, but it's, it's one I want to like not question at the moment. Really hang on to. Yeah. So the, I, a, a really hard hitting and practical developmental question we can ask ourselves is, what stories do I take to be true? And what are the effects of taking certain stories to be true? If I take the story to be true that God is punishing and um, disapproving of me, and I realize that that leads to depression, anxiety, and a, like a general sense of dissatisfaction in life, maybe I should challenge that story. And maybe I should try on a new one. And if the story about loving my wife causes me to be more selfless and more full of joy, then maybe those are the kinds of stories I can keep with me. That's great. Thomas, um, what are some of the reasons why in your experience with this, what are some of the, the, the reasons and circumstances perhaps that people begin to question their, um, their relationship with God or question God or question the faith in which they were reared? Yeah, that's, I mean, so many different reasons. I'll just speak locally. You know, I'm, I'm based in Salt Lake City and I, you know, run a nonprofit here and people with an LDS background, um, they'll wonder often, for example, about, well, we know more about uh, the Book of Mormon, the Book of Abraham than we used to. So they'll wonder, is this actually a historical document? And if it isn't, what would that mean about the cornerstone of our religion? That's, that's a really common one. Um, or maybe like how the church is handling its relations with the LGBTQ community. We might think this doesn't feel loving and yet the premise of the church is that we're the most loving Christ-like people in the truest church that's ever been known. How do I square that? You know, so I, I could rattle off and you know, if you go to Jana Reese's book, well, that's diving too far down to in the direction of like 
top five reasons people question, but um, it's often over social issues. They feel like their church is underperforming in terms of like social activism. Uh, people worry about the historicity of religion. Is this, all this stuff we say is true, is it actually true? Those are big. Another big one that we see in the developmental research is when we have a friend or some kind of mentor or just some, some presence in our life who's living life from a more mature place and we sense their freedom and we sense their compassion and we sense that they're embodying something that we can only just get a peek of when we're on our tiptoes. And we think maybe like this place I said was the final destination of life. Maybe there's a lot more beyond this that I haven't explored. And that's a huge catalytic factor in causing people to doubt and change their mind about things that were certain just yesterday. That's really common. And just as a follow-up to that, um, for those that meet, um, I guess maybe, maybe will you speak to the idea of people who are dealing with, with, with really, rather than like a doctrinal beef or issue or a social issue um, of their faith, um, have you had any experience with people who have met um, tragedy in life and that for sure. being a catalyst for and can you speak to that? I guess I'm trying to understand just contextually where you're coming from with that, but also what would you say to people who are in those places? Loss of a loved one, a major illness, a change in career, retirement, moving to a new geographical location. These are all correlating factors with massive faith transition or developmental movement. So any, any big change in life, can cause someone to deeply reflect on the assumptions they've made about who I am and what is true, right? So everything you named and more, those can really shake people loose. And what I would say to them is that you can, you can trust that free fall. Whoa, whoa, I mean, whoa, whoa, hold on. <laughs> You're saying I can be okay with someone taking the floor out from underneath me? Is that well, really what you just said, Thomas? It's, it's right, I did. That's what <laughs> yeah. I said. <laughs> Period. Hard stop. Next question. <laughs> right? Okay. I mean, that is but, so scary. We, I mean, <laughs> biologically, we seek stasis. We want to have a den that's nice and warm, and we want to have, like, you know, food squirreled away for the winter, and we want to have mating opportunities. If we want to take it down to the very basics. And, like, in a complex postmodern life, um, we often encounter existential problems that go way beyond just basic survival. It's like, who am I? You can have all the acorns you want buried away in the hill and the who am I, who am I question will keep you up at night and it will disturb you profoundly. So there's a whole question and there's an art and there's a science around how do I embrace uncertainty and unknowing in a way that it becomes catalyzing to further development and progress as a human being that's a big wow. question we ask in development it's a big question we ask at lower lights because i don't think there have ever been more i'm just by raw force of numbers there have never been more human beings on the planet asking questions about who am i and what do i do with this one precious human birth there are questions we can't escape now that's good to hear because I feel like I felt that, but I'm like, am I just surrounding myself with these people who are uh, questions of all sorts, right? And right. for me, I read your book for just the understanding. Like I want to be more loving and accepting of all the people around me. And I have a lot of friends that are all different faiths or mm -hmm. not faith. Mm -hmm. And um, just the simple idea, which sounds so basic and almost dumb, of we're human and we shift and we transform and we make changes. And here I am with Kobe, we've made these big changes in our life. Like we're gonna be these better people, we're gonna live recovery. And then to see that there's still so many more changes that come like, okay, we're still going to have these shifts. My, the big um, things that come, like you were mentioning, my dad passed away in December. Like those things are shifts for us where whatever it is, um, I had, group today with a bunch of women and all of them because of quarantine it's bringing up all these thoughts of like where am i in and yep. 
these just deep questions that they haven't thought of before because we have more time, right? Yes. And we're just sitting here wondering, <laughs> yeah. why are we here? Yeah, I mean, we might see a spike in the research of faith transition developmental shifts in the year 2020 because of COVID-19. I won't be surprised when I see that, you know. But I take it to be a good thing. Um, you know, I've lived my own human life, almost 40 years of it, and I've had my own like faith transitions, developmental transitions, and I am sure I will have many more yet. And as difficult as many of them were in the midst of it, um, I look back on them and I don't think I'm different than any human being here, but when you truly are looking back at a major life episode or challenge and you are a new being who's come into a whole new quality of embodiment and presence because of it, you would, you would pay a hundred times that pain. You would, you would pray for it for the people you love most. You'd pray for that opportunity, for that opportunity to die before you die and to transform. Thomas, going, al going along with what you're saying, um, if the question is, is who am I, right? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, we, we try to get that answered through ha having all the answers, right? Yeah. Like, and, and what you're saying is, is, in a lot of ways, it's not about having all the answers. It's about letting go. It's about letting go and in, in, in embracing the, the uncertainty. Yeah. And um, that's so hard for so many people. And like what you're talking about with tragedy of, of embracing tragedy and allowing yourself to grow through that. Yeah. Um, is there any, any bit of advice or, or like, how do you step into that uncertainty mm -hmm. and, 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 and feel it and allow yourself to, to surrender into that? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, first I'll say, um, yes, embracing uncertainty is a core skill um, when we're looking at um, we could say embracing the opportunities to grow as human beings if we can tolerate uncertainty that will help us a lot but the paradox there is as we embrace uncertainty more and more deeply we become more and more clear about what we do know and what we do care about. Oh, so uncertainty leads to a, a greater depth. In Zen, uh, it's, we say that great, we need great faith and great doubt in order to wake up, right? And, and we don't talk about that in the Abrahamic religions so much, but the Eastern religions really make use of, you need to doubt everything you thought you ever knew. And that paradoxically gives way to a deeper faith and a deeper kind of knowing. So there's, there's that piece that I wanted to just offer so that people don't leave a, this conversation feeling like, oh, I have to unlearn everything. Well, in a sense you do, but it's okay because like um, over time you'll come into a deeper kind of faith and a deeper kind of knowing and stability that's actually pretty surprising as you get your life. But, but, but in order to get there, you, almost, you have to kind of step into that dark right in, you have in, to freak out and lose your mind and lose your identity <laughs> and, and make a mess of your most important relationships yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it gets really so, ugly <laughs> so my question is i i hear a lot from the betrayed side um so it's i think maybe i don't know is it more common brandon for the indulgent or addicted to go this path quicker or no, no, I would no, say it's both. both. Okay, so just the disruption because of it all, it gets them, it gets them both it's, thinking, Who am I? What am I doing with my life? Okay, yeah. so my I 85% of my audience is the women, and so I get more of the women. Um, mm. but there, that question, like that, we started the podcast with, Can we make this work? And yeah. I, I go back to for me, it's like, I, you have a thing in here, um. My argument is that we can all learn to express our own unique growth in healthier ways, like whether you are believing in religion or not believing and all these things. And that's where I think the empathy, the, um, the review you read, Kobe, of really listening to the podcast to try to have empathy and compassion for our partners or for whoever is going through that for yourself if you're going through this faith transition or crisis. Um, so how, I mean, do you recommend that people find 
their people, like something like what you do, your lower lights. I mean, if they have to like accept the uncertainty and say, okay, I'm going to do this. Hmm. How does that affect those partnerships or can you prevent the damage? Those are a lot of really good questions. I'll, I'll start with the first one. Like, can we make it through this? Uh, it's, you know, you've, you've probably heard in modern Chinese, the, the word they use for a crisis is literally a dangerous opportunity. So yeah, there's, the stakes are really high in a crisis. Things can go wrong. It, it truly is dangerous. And because things are in motion, things can actually grow and evolve. So, you know, with that said, we can take advantage of a crisis and be humble about it and embrace the invitation to change. And we have to be really gentle with ourselves and have to be especially gentle with our partners, right? I've seen if there's a, a major abuse of developmental psychology and research it's that people learn about the stages and sometimes will like use that map to explain someone else like oh i didn't realize this person is just at an earlier stage of development than i am and they're not as complex and sophisticated as i am so they can't understand me and uh what's usually much more helpful when we're looking at development is how, how do the stages of development reflect, like as a mirror, reflect back on my own growth and where am I coming up short? And if we really keep our eye trained on where we're growing and just take care of ourselves, we tend to be much more compassionate and able partners. So that's why I stress being really, you know, gentle and generous with one another as we struggle you know, relationships are one of the most tender places where human development applies and can get really messy. But one reason I love teaching development is I've seen couples who just felt it was an unbridgeable gulf, like we are completely different people. They realize, you know, we're not that different and maybe we're in different moments in life right now. But it, it's obvious to me that like you're deeply worthy of love, compassion, esteem, respect and and I choose to support you as you make meaning for yourself. You know, that's, that's really what I hope people take away from the, from the learning. Beautiful. That's I know a from, Oh, go ahead, Kobe. Brennan, please. No, I was just going to say for me, um, personally with my wife, um, our, I think one of our deepest um, areas of intimacy is spirituality. And she's gone in her directions and I've gone in mine and we're in a much different place. Um, but it's just, you know, it's, it's acceptance and compassion. And because we're so different, we've connected more. Um, we haven't torn apart and, and, you know, and so it, it's allowing each other to have our journey and our own journey and uh, having respect for that. And so just, just to kind of, yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. So happy to hear that. And I do see that. I see that a lot. It's encouraging when I hear stories like that. Yeah. So, so Thomas, can you perhaps articulate um, just a couple of very, very simple measures or steps that um, couples or individuals, let's just say couples and then just say, you know, whatever the, whatever the, uh, the additional step is for maybe an individual, but just speaking with Ashlyn and I, right, just having our, our context, what are some very simple steps that a couple can take in order to, number one, um, be open to changing, changes in, in, their, in their faith in, in, in God and in the religion where they were made, but also um, not, I guess, um, but, but also stay, also to, to stay connected. Right. It's like, it's one thing to say, this is where I am right now, but it's another thing to stay, to keep a, a, a pulse on that without freaking out about the ground from under you being yanked out. Right. Right. It goes back to what you had talked about earlier, but what are some very simple things that people can do to, to, to understand and be understood, but also to keep the pulse with where each other are in your experience? Yeah. It's, it's a good question and it's difficult to answer 
in the abstract. And what I mean by that is, you know, I talk to a lot of individuals, I talk to a lot of couples and families about like how these dynamics are playing out, faith transition, developmental transitions. Um, when we get into the nitty gritty of the details of their lives and what actually are you afraid of, then we can get very personal about like the best way to respond. So in general, if I, if I try to step back and respond to that, I would say that knowing the territory just a little bit better than you currently do is a really good first step. And let me use an analogy. If you're out in the wilderness, let's say you set out and you had a plan, like we're going to go on a 48 hour backpacking trip. We're going to cover 15 miles during these two days. And let's say like come nightfall day two, uh, like, the uh, campsite looks nothing like it did in your like, you know, manual that you bought. And you realize that you're lost and you don't know where home is and you don't know how long your food supply is going to hold out, et cetera, et cetera. You get the analogy. Development's a lot like this and that most of us have grown up with a very definite idea. Of, this is where we're trying to get. This is how much food we'll need and how much time we'll take to walk there. And here we are at some, in some strange place. It looks like nothing like where we thought we'd be. And so we start to panic and we start to bicker and we start to blame the other person because they're the one that got us lost and off trail, basically. I see this happening with couples all the time. It's a really natural thing. But if we know the territory and we realize, oh, actually this other map that we hadn't looked at uh, it says that, you know, there's fresh water a mile down the hill and, you know, there's a lot of edible shrubs. I'm just going to like stop torturing the metaphor at this point. But if we know that we're not going to die, that we're actually okay and we have resources around us. And if we like, you know, start to flex our survival skills after a little while, after the panic subsides, we start to feel more alive than we've ever felt. We're like in this brand new territory. Um, our senses are heightened. We're just thrilled to be alive and learning new things. And like before we know it, we're at some new place that is better, like orders of magnitude better than anything we had ever imagined we could arrive at as an individual, as a couple. And the path of development is like this. It takes faith to like push past the like original campsite where we were just going to pitch a tent and call it good. But if we know the territory just a little bit and we have our basic survival skills, we learn to thrive and we become totally new beings and we become totally new couples together and new families and new communities. I've seen this process countless times in my career and I don't recommend disturbing campers who are nested and warm in their sleeping bags and settled <laughs> in if if they're good at whatever campsite they stopped at i don't recommend you know uh you know breaking that up but for people who are like visibly distressed like where the hell are we you know to say like hey like i've got a map here and you're going to be just fine i've i've hiked thousands of miles in this terrain and just over that hill is like high ground, dry land, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm listening to you say all this and I'm like, oh, it sounds just like how you deal with betrayal trauma. It's like, get educated, find people, yeah. like you're not alone. Yeah. And yeah. it sounds very similar to that. And I think awesome. maybe as humans, we think I have to do this hard thing alone and I don't know what to do and yeah. we're not meant to. Exactly, yeah, no, totally. Um, it, it requires a little bit of a shift in mentality, but when we accept that we're not who we thought we were and that life isn't what we thought it was, that, that alone is traumatizing. It can take decades to recover from that shock. But if we're willing to shift and say, okay, so I'm not who I thought I was and my partner isn't who I thought he or she was uh, or they were, or, you know, like life isn't what I thought it was. Once we recover from that shock and just relax into, okay, there's a whole, there's an art and there's a science around how to fall apart. Countless people have fallen apart before. So let me learn from the people who've fallen apart. And at least I'm in good company now. Exactly. 
I love it. And you say it so calm. I'm going to learn from all the people. Well, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in one of the lulls right now. <laughs> Developmentally, I'm just in this place. I'm like, man, everything is so awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you caught me on a good decade. I think. <laughs> so so I, I want to just kind of reiterate uh, what you're saying. It really falling apart is where you can, you can accept that together and, and find some connection through the process and find the water and the, the edible shrubs and maybe edible other things too. Um, but, but, uh, we're talking edibles. Is that <laughs> no, no, but, but I here's read what you, I, <laughs> I read you loud and clear Brown, edibles. <laughs> Thomas, here, here's what I, I see is let's say, let's say I'm the, the partner who's, just hunkering down in my religion. Like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm living it. I'm, I'm faithful. I'm going to work my way to heaven. Right. And, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. My partner starts to stray um, and starts to question, maybe even starts to become a little bit bitter. Yeah. Um, and so what I see is when one partner says, Hey, you said you'd stay in the religion. You better come back. You better go to church the way you're supposed to. It doesn't, motivate that partner to be like oh okay yeah i right. i totally believe and vice versa when the other partner starts to stray starts mm -hmm. to read things and not believe certain things to try to rip that other person out and say don't believe come with me it makes them hunker down even more right right whereas influencing each other in a positive way spiritually is about embracing the the upheaval and the uncertainty like you've been talking about, right? And yeah. accepting each individual where they're at through the process, right? No. Absolutely, that's, that's really beautifully said. Um, one of the most humbling and heart shattering and joyful lessons we learn in like transformation and faith transition is that sometimes what used to be true is no longer true. And it can be really hard to say that to a partner, like what, what was true is no longer true because we have, I think in some ways, a naive relationship culturally to truth. Like truth is just capital T true, always forever true. But in my experience, no human truths are ever true forever. All human truths are relative truths and they're subject to change and they're subject to evolve. And when we can write that into the, you know, contract of our relationship that like we give our, each other permission and a blessing to continue to grow and evolve and change it's a different kind of relationship and i i advocate for that i, I think the healthiest marriages healthiest relationships have that kind of give you know well it's a relationship built on growth and change and and, and evolving yeah. not a relationship built on fear and control and force right it's a powerful relationship not a forceful relationship um, when you can accept and embrace that change through the process mm. so this has been super super compelling and super interesting honestly <laughs> and um and i can say with with um with all of my heart that the best thing the, the very best thing that happened to me in recovery. Um, it, I say recovery, but also discovery. Like I, I discovered really, I think for the first time, um, a proper relationship with God in recovery because my context was very much of um, God was uh, punitive and was um, swift to dole out punishment when I was not compliant. And anything bad that happened to me in life is because of that thing that I had done previously. And so challenging all of that and realizing um, that, that, okay, that, that I thought God was, is not served me. It served me. And actually, I don't know what your, I don't know what your observations are um, or if you can care to share those were about about that about that transition but for me that was one of the most important developments when you talk about you know adult development human development that was such an important important thing for me yeah because of yeah. the peace moreover the acceptance of who i actually was came on the heels of that yeah 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 
No, and I think we both have had to see that different relationship with God come forth of just seeing the compassion for each other and like, oh, maybe God is more like us and not this like clear up here thing, but he's loving and he's not black and white. And there's just a lot more to it than I think I ever could accept and wanted to accept. So it does feel a lot better now. I will say that. (laughs) (laughs) It's, I mean, just to kind of give the listeners a taste of the power of developmental patterns, something we've all lived through as adults. Um, This happens, uh, there's a window within our childhood where this transition occurs, where we go from like the kind of rambunctious, terrible twos into kind of a socialization process, a heightened sense of what are the rules? How do I get along with friends? But in that rude awakening, you know, when we're maybe four years old, there's this sense of, well, I don't totally understand the rules, but I know my parents really seem pissed off when I break them. And that's <laughs> like really terrifying to me when like dad's angry. Um, and actually that psychology that we all have imprinted in us, it gets unconsciously carried over to our relationship with God because we don't know yeah. how to not piss God off in life. And life is really complex. So we're bound to, you know, step on some people's toes. Um, and what I hear you two pointing to is like, oh, I, I realized the moment when that relationship to God is like an authoritarian policeman was totally inappropriate to being in a deeper relationship with God. And development tracks like what are the infinite kinds of relationships we can come into with ourselves, with others, with life, with the ultimate. And it just keeps going. It, in my experience, it just keeps getting better and freer and more compassionate so i I love the stories you've shared and how intimate those are to that process um can i share one last story and then we'll kind of wrap up um it was like two or three years ago i can't remember kobe we were in alaska sitting on a fishing boat um just lush beautiful um we were fishing for salmon and we were on that boat for like eight hours and didn't get a bite like all day long in Alaska and Kobe turned to me and he's like, he's like, you know what, Brandon, before I'd be thinking all day long, like the reason the fish aren't biting is because like I masturbated last week. And I'm oh like, thousand percent. You guys, yes. that's totally true. Yes. Oh. So God is somehow like up there, like you punishing him and he's not catching the fish because he's a masturbator, you know? And like, and he's like, you know, that I, I've let go of that train of thought and I feel free. I feel so much more free. Um, and I'm not, you know, every time the fish don't bite, I'm not beating myself up. And uh, I, I love that story. I love that Kobe noticed that and he's kind of letting go of that contingency model of God's love, uh, you know, trying to earn it, trying and waiting for God to punish him. Um, so I lo- I've loved to kind of see Kobe transition and, and, and uh, he, I, Kobe, I believe you're a lot more spiritual now than you've ever been. Um, letting go of, of that shame-based God in your addiction and in your recovery. So, um, Thomas, uh, where, where do people find you? Um, and uh, if you can talk about your, your book a little bit. Oh, sure, sure. On that. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed the conversation with you all. I appreciate it. I love that fishing story, too. Um, I'm going to, you know. There's way more humor to... than there is uh, philosophy in that, I assure you. I'm going <laughs> to add it to my repertoire. I'll leave, I'll leave the names out. My you, friend, you Kobe get... Mitchell, is a masturbator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, maybe I'll leave your name in. That makes it a better story. He's a masturbator. <laughs> yeah. Hey, he has a whole a podcast about masturbators. So. By oh, masturbator, boy. I mean master angler. Okay. So, uh, the book, yeah, I mean, I wrote the book. I've, I've been studying, uh, developmental psychology for years and the, the, the literature is dense. It's difficult to get through. You have to be really dedicated. So I thought, well, someone should write a primer, like just the, like the basics. So anyone could pick it up in a few hours feel like they have the most important information at their fingertips. That's what I wrote it for. And I, you know, being in the LDS community and with being surrounded by people who are in crisis, I thought, well, I'm going to talk about development in the context of faith crisis, faith transition. So that's what the book's about. And, you know, so question on that. I love the book, honestly. And for me, I've I've always been, um, and our listeners know this, I like to educate myself and whatever, like, 
I just want to understand. I want to have, and this really is, it says a developmental map. And it really was for me like, oh, this makes sense, right? A simple um, developmental map. Yes. But can <laughs> anyone read this or is it, I mean, I remember you saying like, I, I would retitle it if I could, um, because it does say navigating Mormon faith crisis. Well, it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's a Mormon book. I didn't try to consider, I talked to people going through faith crisis and Judaism and Hinduism, and I, I did my research, but I wrote it for Latter-day Saints. If I, if I were to retitle it, I would call it something like transformations of faith. Okay. Um, it's, it's less about emergency medicine, like, you know, your hair's on fire and we got to do something to save you. And it's more like, oh, you're transforming. What wonderful news. Let's enjoy it. You know, and that's if you read the book, it's it reads more like that, but it's just mm -hmm. a kind of expansive treatment of how the faith journey is unending. You know? Yeah, so there's, there's I that. honestly I do think everyone should read the book because I think for most of us, you have someone in your life that you love who has gone down this road of transforming and and shifting. And it does feel scary, but there's so much beauty, like you said, in that. Yeah. when you can educate and understand and mm. understand the people you love more. So thanks, um, Ashlyn. keep, yeah, keep going. Tell us more about where they can <laughs> Well, so you. yeah, there's, there's the book and then there's the community really after I wrote the book in 2015, a lot of people said, well, where do we get together and actually practice? Cause like, these are really powerful ideas, but how do we do this together? And that really inspired the formation of lower lights. It's a community where we practice, we say waking up, and growing up, right? Like human transformation, evolution. Uh, it's a faith journey for some, and for others, it's just an exploration of who am I, you know? So lowerlightswisdom.org. You can check out all our events and get involved and we'd love to see you. Great, and you're currently online because of this. So people yeah, wherever we meet, can come. We meet online three times a month now because of okay. COVID-19. So you can jump onto a call. We have a podcast called Mindfulness Plus where I kind of distill little, you know, do drops of uh, awareness practice development. Yeah, so you can check that out as well. Great, and we'll oh, add those links in our show yeah, notes. Yeah, okay. those will be in the show notes. and. Um, again, I, I just, um, I, I want to thank you, um, for sharing. I want to thank you for your work and your effort and what I'm coming away with from, from this episode is it's okay to be human is to develop and to evolve and that's okay. And To be, to feel like, to feel okay, despite what I was raised to think about God, man, that is an important thing because I went from, from being non-compliant and, and shame-filled, and, and really that was a representation of not just rejecting um, God, but rejecting myself in a sense to evolving and developing mm -hmm. me. And the beautiful thing is, is by accepting myself and changing, I was able to really connect with, with God. So your message is it's okay to develop. It's natural. It's part of who we are as a species. It's, it's a beautiful thing. So for those of you who are listening, who are in the throes of whatever degree, whatever kind, please take away. It's okay. It's okay. And it's going to be okay. So thank you for the message and uh, for the, for just the, the insights and, and uh, for your work. Thanks, Colin. Thank you, Thomas. Really, really moved by that. Thank you. Yeah, it's really nice to hang out with you guys. I don't have many friends these days. <laughs> yeah, thanks, for, thanks, thanks for spending some time. <laughs> we all need it. Totally. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Guys, totally. thanks for being here. Appreciate you. Again, if you haven't yet, go ahead and rate review, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye.
Awesome.